Welcome to the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Hometown Ticketing is proud to be the exclusive sponsor of the UIAAA Connection Podcast and to provide schools nationwide with the best options for digital ticketing for their events. Visit their website at hometownticketing.com to learn how they can make digital ticketing possible and simple at your school. Thank you to Hometown Ticketing for their exclusive sponsorship of the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the UIAAA Connection. I'm your host, Mark Hutch Hunter. Today we have as our special guest, Lisa Gingras, the District Athletic Director at the Nashua School District and also a current board member with the NIAAA Board. Welcome to the broadcast, Lisa. Hi, Hutch. Thanks for having me. Let's have you begin by sharing with our audience here in Utah and across the nation where you grew up, where you went to college, your first job, et cetera. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Nashua, New Hampshire, which for those of you not familiar with the New England area, Nashua is right on the border of Massachusetts, where about 40 miles from Boston, an hour from the ocean, an hour from the mountains, and three hours from New York City. Um, so it's really a, a great area to grow up in. I am a product of Nashua Public Schools went through the whole system. Um, when I was here, we did not have public kindergarten. So I started in first grade here, graduated top of the class from here. Then I went on to St. Michael's College in Vermont for a couple of years before transferring back into Nashua to what is now Rivier University. It was Rivier College at the time. Started okay. teaching um, after high school. I Excuse me, after college, I started teaching in a local town, Salem, New Hampshire. And then came back to teach math and computer science back in Nashua. Um, so taught 19 years before becoming athletic director. And my first job was at a small local shoe store, which was very convenient because I started working at 15 and was actually able to walk there from home. So it was um, oh. it was nice. That's fascinating. Let me just ask you how you enjoy teaching math since I spent my entire career speaking math. Yeah, no, math, math was always my passion. I, you know, in, in middle school and high school, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with it, math, computer sciences, and things like that. And then really just early on caught the bug for, for teaching and helping people. So teaching math and computer science just seemed to be the natural progression. I've taught everything from teaching high schoolers how to add and subtract all the way up to AP computer science and AP statistics. So, all right. Thank you for sharing that. Let's have you talk for a moment about your sports background, youth, high school, possibly in college, and uh, how that led you to get into coaching and or being a director of athletics. Sure. So like most younger siblings, um, I got into the sport that my brother played. My brother was a, a pretty good baseball player, so I got into softball very early on. Started playing that in early elementary school. And then in junior high, I added basketball and volleyball. And then in high school, I played volleyball and softball. Um, in high school, we had a, a very, very, at the time, powerful basketball program. So it was very competitive to be on that team. So I focused on volleyball and softball at the time. and did not continue playing in high school, excuse me, in college. I did have the opportunity at St. Mike's, but unfortunately I was a double major in the honors program. So there wasn't a lot of, a lot of time for collegiate athletics at that point. While I was in Salem, my second year teaching, I believe I started coaching softball 
I was coaching varsity softball. We actually won a title one of the years that I was there. Then I started coaching volleyball. Then when I left Salem to come teach in Nashua, obviously I was not going to commute from this area to the other side of the state to continue coaching. So I left there, but then started coaching varsity volleyball at a local, um, another local high school just over the river from where I was teaching. So throughout my, my years coaching and teaching and working in state level committees and things like that, I always had my hand in teaching and in athletics and in helping people and being on committees and, and serving in different ways. So when I first applied for the position that I'm currently in, some people were kind of like, we must really be desperate if a math teacher is going to get this job. So it was kind of, kind of interesting at that point. But then when people really thought and put my teaching with my people skills, with my organization, with everything I had done at, at the state and, and athletic levels, people were kind of like, huh, this just might work. So when I was hired, kind of interesting in my position, when I was hired in the summer of 2013, I was the eighth athletic director in 12 years. Wow. So there had been a lot of turnover. I had been teaching in Nashua that whole time, and I had a, a variety of different roles. I was a department head. I worked out of central office with one of the assistant superintendents for a while. So I was pretty well known throughout the district and I knew a lot of students because of, of teaching in the, in one of the high schools. Well, that's a yeah. whole nother story taught in both high schools um, back and forth, but I knew a lot of the kids and knew the previous athletic directors and things like that. So when I applied, I knew the things that coaches, kids, parents, the district was looking for was some stability and some longevity in the position. Um, so coming in, as I said, I was the eighth in 12 years and I've now been here for 10 years. So I think I've, I've provided a little bit of that, that longevity and that stability that people know expectations are the same from one year to the next. It doesn't keep changing. Well, I would say that you provided more than just stability if they had eight in 12 years and now you've been there for 10. So yeah, that's incredible. Let's have you talk for a moment about the biggest mentors in your life, parents, teachers, coaches that made an influence on it, and tell us why. Yeah, this is a, a great question to really make you reflect on what has gotten you to where you are. Obviously, first and foremost, the top of the list for most people, myself included, would be my parents. Everything that they've done for my brother and I, the, the life that they provided for us, my parents, my dad was a... a a project manager at a big defense company in, in the local area and, you know, really did everything that he could. And it speaks highly of, he only has an associate's degree. So for him to, to show us that motivation and that drive, and you can do anything that you want to do. Um, it's not about what you have. It's about how hard you work and improving yourself. So obviously my parents, but then there, there are three others who really have had an influence on me as a person as well as professionally. First was a teacher I had in high school. This gentleman was a math and computer science teacher. I had him for six different classes while I was in high school, having graduated from Nashua High before there was the split into the two high schools. And he really was the deciding factor and the person who really influenced me to pursue teaching of, of math and computer science rather than going off into industry with my skills. So he eventually became the department head and he was one of the people who sort of recruited me to leave Salem and come back and teach in Nashua. And then 
the story goes, I eventually took over teaching AP statistics and AP computer science from him when he moved on into administration. So it was, you know, as a, as a high school student, but then also as a veteran teacher coming back into Nashville, he really had influences on my life. The second person was also a, a longtime educator in Nashua. She was a teacher. She was an elementary teacher. She was a high school assistant principal. Then she was a elementary and high school principal and then eventually retired from Nashua as an assistant superintendent. And she really taught us, us being myself and, and other teacher leaders in the building on how to build your team and appreciate your team. And, you know, obviously none of us are perfect at everything we do. So it's important to know what we're good at, but also know where our weaknesses are and make sure you build your team with those people that fill in those gaps for you. She also, she was really instrumental in developing not only my skills, but also probably more importantly, my confidence in feeling that I was a leader in our district. And, and she really, the year, her first year as assistant superintendent, I was kind of working on special assignment out of her office. And it was a, an administrative internship without ever being called that. And that's what really gave me the confidence in, um, made me feel comfortable applying for this position when it became available the following year. And then the third is someone you, I know Hutch, you know this person and many listeners probably know, and that's our executive director in New Hampshire, Carol Dosbrin. Oh, absolutely. Um, Carol mm -hmm. is, you know, a mentor and a role model for all of us in the state of New Hampshire that what we have done professionally as an organization could not have been done without Carol's leadership. She, when I first started, she was still working full-time at a high school within my division. So we worked together often, we collaborated often, but even since she has retired through our athletic directors association, she has just been a great mentor and, and really has pushed me to become more involved at the state level as well as the national level. Um, and is a big part of why I'm sitting here probably because I sit on the board. That's excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that and talking about your uh, personal examples. I think that's great. Let me ask you a more personal question. What's your biggest failure or disappointment in life and what did you learn from it? Oh, that's so hard. There's been so many, Hutch, <laughs> along the way. You know, to, to pinpoint one particular failure, you know, I, I think missing out on the opportunity, playing, playing, being a collegiate athlete, I think mm -hmm. it is one thing, um, you know, for a long time, I, I felt like a failure when I transferred colleges. I found out later that my dad was not real happy with that decision. He never told me that while I was going through it. But later after I student taught and successfully had a job and had been successful teaching for several years, he they finally let me in on the, that was your biggest mistake you've ever made. Um, but I guess it turned out okay now that I'm sitting here. I think the biggest thing is as any of us reflect back on our lives, be it personal errors or professional errors, is what you do with those mistakes. You know, the old adage, it's it's the old cliche. It's not how many times you fall, it's how, how many times you get up and right. what you do after making a mistake. I'm I'm a big believer that you have to own your decisions. As you know, in this profession, we make hundred decisions a day, possibly thousands. And every decision we make, we make for a reason with a purpose and everything is intentional. And I think owning those decisions 
And sometimes those decisions we make aren't the right ones to make and they're mistakes and um, just owning that and, and admitting that, hey, I made a mistake and this is how we're going to correct it, I think is important. Absolutely. Let's talk. You've been in AD for 10 years now. Let's talk mm -hmm. about how the job today is different than it was when you first got the job 10 years ago. It, it's amazing how much it has changed. You know, in, in my world, as we just talked about, 10 years in this position for me is a really long time. But in the big picture, 10 years isn't that isn't that long. And things really have changed. No, no one, as you know, knows what an AD does except another AD. And even our families try to understand it, but even they don't know exactly what we do every day. I think the demands on ADs and coaches has changed tremendously, even just in the past three or four years. I know everybody is tired of talking about COVID, but I really think things have changed since then. I remember even that first year that we had sports back in the fall of fall of 20, everyone was just so grateful. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for putting things into place so our kids could play again. And then of course, by winter, you've got the angry fans, the angry parents, <laughs> angry opponents and everything just like, can't we go back to that fall? Can't we go back to that feeling that everybody is just so grateful to have the opportunity to play again? I think the other thing is, is there's no typical day. There's no one typical day. Everybody always asks that. What you know? What's a typical day? Well, I get to work at six thirty in the morning, and I go to bed, get home at nine or ten. That's that's <laughs> typical. But what happens in the middle is very very different. You know, from one day to the next, you could have your agenda of what you're doing that day, but then what fires come across your desk throughout the day? Sure, you have your agenda, and there's days that you don't get to it. Until 11.30 or 12, because of what happens the second you sit down at your desk. So that's very well said. You got it. Talk to me about your observations of becoming a successful female director of athletics in today's environment. Now, I realize, depending on where you are or what state you're in, uh, mm -hmm. some states are more favorable, some maybe not so. But I know some of the females I've had on the show have had great success. And some have had that bias that still may be there. So I want I want right. your point of view on this. So we've talked about that a lot in our state, in New Hampshire, you know, talking to Carol and other female ADs in the state. No one has really felt that bias. We, you know, I, I don't see myself as a su successful female AD. I just see myself as an athletic director. I see myself sure. as a leader in our community. I see ourselves as a leader in our school district and in our state but not, I don't think I'm special because I'm a female. I don't think I'm looked at differently. At least I don't feel that way. Um, and I don't know if that's because of the respect I have or just because we don't, we don't have that bias here in our state towards female athletic directors. In fact, in addition to the, the big turnover of athletic directors when I was hired that everybody wanted to talk about, everybody wanted to talk talk to me about, Lisa, what does it mean to be the first female athletic director in Nashua? I'm like, can we not talk about that? Can, how about the fact that I'm from Nashua? How about the fact that I know the history? I know I was here as a student athlete when there was one high school. I know what it's like to graduate um, with 900 students in my graduating class. I know the history of what happened when we went from one high school to two high schools and when we went from junior highs to middle schools. I know all that history. Let's focus on that 
and what that means for our students that I really don't feel that there's discrimination against female athletes in New Hampshire, though I know and understand and respect that there are in other parts of our country. That's uh, that's so well said. Let me just share this, take a few of your moments. It, it reminds me back, this has got to be 15, 16 years ago for me, maybe even 17 or 18. We hired a baseball coach and she was a female and she was the first female baseball mm -hmm. coach uh, in the state of Utah, former college softball coach at BYU. She's now up at Weber State, successful, won a bunch of titles there. But I went through the same thing, not the same as you, because I'm not a female, but people say, well, yeah, yeah well, you, boy, you're really on top of it. You hired the first female coach. And then my reply was she was the best candidate. So we hired her. It wasn't right. it wasn't about making a statement. Oh, look at us. Look what we're doing. It was is we had the applicants and she was the best. So we hired her. So right. thank you for that. Let's talk about your journey now with the New Hampshire ADA and the NIAAA, how you became involved within the Hampshire group, how you eventually got to be on the NIAAA board and how that, because you're, you haven't been an athletic director. Well, in my case, I was in AD for 30 years. So you've right. been for 10. So it's not that you're brand new, but you've still got years to go in front of you. I yes. want our younger, or should I say not our, our newer athletic directors to listen to your journey, to realize that uh, it's never too late to get involved. So I'll turn it over to you. Right. So I, anybody who knows me knows I don't do anything halfway. I jump in, I dive into the deep end head first and I just get involved. So I obviously right from the very beginning started attending New Hampshire meetings, New Hampshire conferences and jumped right in and started taking LTI courses and things like that. In 2015, I was elected treasurer of the NHADA, which as treasurer, in our association, the way we're structured is the treasurer is an indefinite term. It's not, right. you know, a two-year term, a four-year term, a five-year term. So as long as I'm still doing a decent job, I can keep the position for however long. So people keep asking me why, why I don't ever throw my hat in for the presidency. And my answer is, why do I want to be done in two years? Sure. You know, our, our, our presidential term is, is only two years. So I've now been sitting on the board. This is my eighth year, our executive board. So again, I'm somebody on the board that as representatives from our divisions turnover, as our presidents turnover, I have that history and I can carry history from, well, we tried that eight years ago. We could try again. If we try again, let's do something different. So jumped right in there. So as treasurer, I'm involved in everything, our conference our membership, our all of the committees, because everything ultimately has to filter through me, because as you know, everything costs money. Mm -hmm. So that's really, that's really been my big involvement, even though I'm not president or I've never been president. I feel as a member of the executive board for as long as I have, I've had influence on some of the decision and some of the changes that we've made in the state association. And I imagine that Carol is very thankful to have your expertise and to been there so long. I know okay. if I speak for the executive director in Utah, that that's, that's just something that uh, she wouldn't have to worry about. And so right. let's talk about, I'm assuming it was New Hampshire's turn and in section eight, yes. people need to yes. understand that section, section eight, one. section one, I said that wrong. Yeah. That's okay. And what I meant was section one, eight states, 
right. and the rotation comes around every 24 years you got it. In Utah the rotation comes around every 15 so how mm -hmm. did how did section one decide you were the best person and how did that go yep so um right from the beginning continuing with the journey a little bit before I get to that piece I started doing LTI courses attending our section one summer institute things like that three years in in 2017 I earned my CAA and then three years later not sure if you're aware, but I was the hundredth person to get my CMAA for the NIAAA. So awesome. kind of getting that, that credibility. And as you know, taking all of those courses, be them online or in person, you get to meet other people and, and things like that. So I'm in my third year on the board and how that came about is again, being on the executive board, our process from New Hampshire um, as you said, every 24 years, we get this opportunity. So we took the, the minimum requirements, at least five years on the jobs, CA, minimum of CAA, state and national involvement, things of those likes. And we created the list of people who were eligible in New Hampshire to apply for the position to represent New Hampshire. So as the executive board, we took the, the minimum people and then from that, excuse me, the minimum took the people who met the minimum requirements. Sure. And so from that point, knowing I was one of those people, I, I was out of the process, you know, knowing I wanted to apply for the position to represent New Hampshire and section one at the national level. So at that point, our at the time president and Carol, the executive director held interviews and they actually interviewed us and we had to submit a cover letter and a resume, just like you were applying for any job. And mm -hmm. that's how, that's how New Hampshire handled it. So we had to apply, we had to interview, and then I was selected um, from there. And I, I, I can't talk about my time on the board without telling this story. Um, I'm a big believer in connections and everything happens for a reason. So as you said, every 24 years, New Hampshire has this opportunity. So I, I, if I may, I'd like to tell you a little story about Clyde. Absolutely, go ahead who held the position before me from New Hampshire. So 24 years ago, Clyde Clyde was in my seat. And then Jim, I'm not sure if you know Jim Davis, who was my immediate predecessor from Massachusetts. I knew Jim, so, yes. I know Clyde, Jim. Clyde served from New Hampshire 24 years ago. Jim was my immediate predecessor from Massachusetts. When I was teaching in Salem, teaching and coaching in Salem, Jim was my athletic director. Really? Jim, yes. Jim left Salem before I did to become the athletic director in Nashua, the position I currently hold. Okay. But at, at the time, it was only one high school. So there's that connection. When I left teaching in Salem, teaching and coaching in Salem, I got that job just over the river in Hudson at Alvern High School, who Clyde was the athletic director who hired me. Wow. So Yep. So I left Jim, got hired by Clyde. Clyde then left New Hampshire to go become an athletic director in Massachusetts. Um, unfortunately, Clyde passed away very unexpectedly and tragically um, not long after taking that position. And then Jim left Nashua to go take Clyde's job. Okay. So it's just this weird little triangle having worked for both Jim and Clyde, Jim sitting in my seat, 
And then to top it all off, I was very good friends with Clyde's wife and he didn't know that. So he went home telling his wife all about this new volleyball coach he had hired. And he, she was like, did you hire Lisa Jingris by any chance? And he was like, how do you know Lisa? So it just very weird connections and in, in how it just, again, just seemed like it was meant to be that I replaced Jim having replaced Clyde as the New Hampshire representative. So that's, that's fascinating because I, I've known Jim for years and I've always thought he was, I just, I knew him when he ran for section one as the at large and didn't win, but I knew him mm -hmm. when he got the spot from Massachusetts, I had no idea that he had been in both states. So that's, uh, yeah. that is yeah. a small world. He actually lives in New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's fairly, uh, that's fairly, I wouldn't say it's common, but there's executive directors that live in different states. Three yes. off the top of my head. Greg Smith uh, actually yep. lives in 200 yards into Illinois. <laughs> yep. And he's the Wisconsin, uh, the godfather. Yep. He lives in Pennsylvania, but he takes care of New Jersey. And I think Mark Hott actually lives just over the border in Arkansas, takes care of Kansas. So that's, yep. that's incredible. Let me ask you a question that wasn't on the list that I sent you. Sure. What is your reaction to and what do you feel about your, I'll just call it your unofficial appointment to the uh, the National Faculty of Leadership 790? Because I know, well, it might be official by the time this airs. Okay. But, uh, uh, um, talk to that I, for a minute. I'm very excited about that. I That is something I have looked to, toward for many years. Once I got my CMAA, it was like, okay, what's the next step? The next step is... I want to pursue more teaching of the LTI courses. I eventually want to become on the national teaching faculty. I have a lot of respect for a lot of the national faculty from whom I've taken classes. And I just think I'm a teacher inside. Teaching mm -hmm. is who I am, helping people, mentoring people, helping people be the best that they can be. And I honestly think that's what being an athletic director is about, is influencing and impacting our students so that they can be the best people that they can be. So I'm really excited when I when I first got that phone call about joining the national faculty. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And then when I found out what class it was, I'm like, wait a minute, you want me to teach the people how to do this? Yeah, um, so it's 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 a big honor to not only be asked to be on the national faculty, but to specifically be on the 790 class. Well, I spoke with Jamie, and as you know, we only we only want the best. So uh, we went after you. I don't think it hurts that. Uh, we may have someone in Utah who's now an assistant director in the NIAAA that can help us out, but we're excited to have you. I want you to share your, uh, reflect maybe one or two other stories about your time on the board. I realize you have one more year, but mm -hmm. I, I like to ask board members this when I have them on as guests. I had that opportunity, well, it's been 10, 11, 12 years ago since I served right. on the board, but the, each board is just so unique and so close so cohesive and I, mm -hmm. I like to ask the people that serve because i like to try to give that sense to to our listeners and i hope they get it so i'll turn the time back over to you yeah it's it's just very interesting being on the board because as you said every board is different so starting my third year of the three-year term the way i look at it this is my third board even though my term mm -hmm. is three year each year is different because anywhere from four to seven people will, will change every single year. So every year is, is very different. As you know, serving on the board is, is a professional experience like no other. To be able to 
be in that room and and have conversations that are going to impact 13,000 athletic directors, not only in our country, but some internationally is, is an honor and a privilege. It really is. Um, the people you meet, the things you learn, the decisions you make this year, we had the really difficult decision of, of replacing Mike Blackburn, who's retiring at the end of January. And, Absolutely. you know, that's a, that's not something every board is involved in. So that process and our, our officers this year and how they, they led us through the, that process and not only making the decision about elevating Phil Risen, but bringing in the two new assistant executive directors, that's an experience that the board, no other board's gonna have hopefully for the next eight, nine, 10 years down the road, um, maybe longer, depending if and when Phil decides to retire. So that was a, a really big thing. I think the other fascinating thing about being on the board is seeing the inner workings of the office and how the staff of, of eight or nine since August with the, the two new assistants coming on board runs everything within our organization for over 13,000 members. And it's a staff of eight. And I think that's pretty amazing. So how the staff the board, the committees, the PDA team, the national faculty, how all of the different components have to do what they do and stay within their lane and support each other and serve each other to be able to be the unbelievable organization that the NIAAA is. Well said. Let me ask you to share your observations about the recent NIAAA conference in Nashville. A little bit different than Denver because Denver was the first one after the two years off. Right. We had the uh, we had the the COVID year in in twenty. But how is how is this one really the first conference back without masks? So uh, share your right. observations. And of course, Opryland is such a huge place. But uh, I'm interested in, yeah. in your take on that. Um, twenty seven hundred attendees largest conference ever. We had over 3,000 people, but many of those were, were guests and spouses and, and things like that. But 2,700 athletic directors registered and attended the conference. That alone speaks to people's thirst for improvement and bettering themselves. And I think that's really important. As we know, Nashville itself is a big draw. It's always a big draw anytime we have our conference there. Unfortunately, being on the board, I was so busy. I didn't see anything outside of the Gaylord. Exactly. Um, I don't know what Broadway is. I don't know what it looks like. I didn't see any part of that. Um, but I know between the workshops, the classes, the networking sessions, just running into people in the vendor hall, not only the vendors themselves, but other ADs that you formed relationships with over the years. It's just an amazing experience. It's the national conference is, I, I will say, the best professional experience, best professional development experience anybody in this profession can get. Um, whether you're a student, an aspiring AD, an AD that's done this for five years, 10 years, 40 years, I think everybody has some takeaway from it. And like well, you said, so. it, you know, yes, Denver, we were together, but we had restrictions on us in Denver. Right. So I think I think this being the first real conference since 2019, I think has a lot to be said. Let me just share that Nashville in 1997 was my first conference okay. so 25 years ago. And I share, when I tell this story, I share that I left the Opryland still not having a clue 
on how to get anywhere. And it was the right. the second time we came back 10 years later before I understood where everything was. So that's, yeah. thank you for that observation. And thank you for sharing that. What's the favorite part of your job, Lisa? The kids, the kids. Absolutely. Um, this is a, an easy question. Being the athletic director for, for both schools, I will tell you the, for, and again, I know other parts of the country, um, a district athletic director might have 50 high schools, but in our little corner of the world, my position is the biggest athletic director's position in the state. Um, we have Manchester, New Hampshire also has a district athletic director with three public high schools, but their schools are a little bit smaller. So I have the opportunity to see the kids grow, not only from freshman year to senior year, but since I oversee the middle schools as well, sometimes I see kids grow from sixth grade to 12th grade and how mm -hmm. they grow and how they develop and, and the impact and influence that athletics has had on them as people and their leadership and their growth as people, um, I think is pretty good. But the, the biggest compliment I've ever gotten from a student, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago now, I was at an event and they were there watching their school wasn't playing. The other school was playing and, and they looked at me and they're like, Miss G, do you have a twin? I'm like, no. <laughs> I, and they're like, I swear to God, I forget we have to share you. So I think that really, that really was probably the biggest compliment that, that I'm visible enough and they feel they have that connection to me that they forget I'm not always in their building. They forget that I'm not always at their games because I'm across the river at, at games for the other high school or I'm at a middle school event or something like that. So it's great. I love it when the kids come back. I'm actually sitting in one of my offices and, and there's a note on my door on my whiteboard from a student who graduated probably seven or eight years ago. And she came back to visit a couple of years and she just wrote her name and was here with a little heart. It's still there. You know, it's it's just those little things that they come back to visit, they come back to see their school, they come back to see their coaches, their former teammates, and maybe you realize you had a little impact on somebody. That's great. Let's finish up with a couple of questions. The first one being, if you were speaking to a new athletic administrator and you had two suggestions for them to to follow in order for them to be a success, what would those two suggestions be? Um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It is actually a sign of strength, in my opinion, that you realize you don't know everything. You can't know everything. So reach out to others in your area that are ADs, that are retired ADs and learn from them. So that would be the first piece. The other one, always remember your why. And this is what I just talked about. If you're not making decisions to positively impact students, you're making the wrong decisions. Um, as, as Mike McGurk, our current past president would say, remember to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's the kids. Excellent. Lisa, what questions should I have asked you that I failed to ask you? Um, I think you were pretty, pretty thorough. You asked about a failure and what I learned from that. But mm -hmm. one thing I, I think you didn't ask is something that I'm, I've done here in Nashville that I'm really proud of. And that is, I resurrected a 20 year dormant hall of fame. We had a, a hall of fame that ran from 91 to 2000 and, and then it stopped. Nobody really knows why it stopped. I have my opinions. I think part of the turnover in the athletic director's position probably had something to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, 
So in 2018, we we started that process. We brought back the Hall of Fame. We were set to hold our, our first induction in 20 years. It was going to be exactly 20 years in the spring of 2020. Well, so, then, so let me course, let me so let me give you a chance to talk about the great success that it is now and maybe some of the issues yeah. that came with it after it had been off for, for 20 years. Right. Right. Share, so, that, share that journey with us. Yeah. So th this is actually what I did my CMAA project on. And it just one of the issues was the previous group that ran the Hall of Fame. There were no written documents. All we knew is who had been inducted and who had been nominated. We had nothing else. We have no idea how they decided who was in, who wasn't in, what the process was, what the timeline was. We, we knew nothing of that. So the first thing we did, and, and I've had this conversation with many people who are starting a, a Hall of Fame from scratch, is create a constitution. You got to have bylaws. You've got to have, especially in our world today, you need to have that transparency. Obviously, we don't publish who's been nominated and why we chose one person over the other, but here's our deadlines. Here's when nominations open. Here's when they close. Here's when we're going to make the announcements of who's being inducted. Here's how often we're going to do an induction. You know, so really having that set set list of rules. And this is also something I'm I'm trying to do. I don't know when retirement's going to come. Hopefully it'll come at some point in my future, but I want to leave this position in a better place for the next person. I don't want them to come in and be like, okay, now what do I do? Um, you know, not only with the hall of fame, but with everything I have, I have lists of, of things that I do regularly that, you know, my hope is to pass on to the next person. So we, we created that constitution and, and we've stuck by it. You know, then of course our induction in the spring of 2020 got postponed <laughs> twice. So we ultimately did a virtual induction in, in how we went about that. So our first one was not what we had envisioned. So we're really hoping this spring, May of 2023, will be our first in-person induction in 22 years. So that's we're, fabulous. That we're is really fabulous. looking forward to that. So that's something I'm really proud of. You know, I don't know what the future is going to bring. I know I've instituted a lot of other changes, but that's something that I think is really important for our community. So we, we went from a, a one high school community to we now have two high schools. So we take nominations from all three. You know, we're, we're inducting someone in the spring who graduated in 1963, and we're inducting some kids who graduated from one of the high schools post-split who graduated in 2005, I believe. So that's something that's that's really been that a is, fun undertaking. That is excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that story with us. Uh, with that, that wraps up another edition of the UIAAA Connection. Once again, our guest today has been Lisa Gingras, the Certified Athletic Administrator, District Athletic Administrator at Nashua School District, and current member of the NIAAA Board. Thanks so much for being with us today, Lisa. Thank you very much, Hutch. For our listeners, we hope you tune in again next week for another edition of the UIAAA Connection.